taking your seats. As you open up your Bibles to Psalm 121, we've got some visitors this morning. Who's from Harvest Kids? Give me a wave. Come on. All right, we're glad you're here. God, God planned a basketball tournament in your honor so that you would be present with us this morning, and, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, we've got a message from God's Word from the Psalms that I trust is going to encourage all of you today. I want to begin with a question. Uh, do you ever feel like sometimes life is not going the way that you'd hoped? Do you ever feel like you're running on empty? Do you ever feel like you're fighting a losing battle? Do you ever feel like you can't quite think clearly, like you're running into obstacles at every turn? Maybe you're running up hill in quicksand. Anybody ever feel that way? We all need something, don't we? What is it? It's up on the screen behind me. Help. <laughs> help. We all need help. Life is hard. The path that we're traveling is often a weary one. We need strength. And, and it's not a strength that comes from deep uh, down inside of ourselves. It is a, a supernatural strength that we need. We need help from the Lord. Some of you may know the name David Livingston. David Livingston was a Scottish man who lived in the 1800s. He was a missionary to the continent of Africa. He set out to help in the abolition of the slave trade, to explore a continent that still was, was very much unmapped, to find people groups that have not been reached yet for Jesus Christ. And he was preparing to set out on this journey. He had done his medical training so that he could be of assistance in that way. He, he had done his training in, in the British Missionary Society and he was getting ready to go. And, and almost famously, there's an account in, in every place that I, I read of David Livingston. I see this same account of how um, on the eve of his leaving to go to Africa, not knowing what was going to await him in this journey, he gathered together with his family and they knelt down and they opened the word of God and they prayed Psalm 121. Psalm 121 has been called a traveler's hymn, a pilgrim's psalm. In this psalm, we're brought into a journey whose end is still off in the distance, where days are long and the terrain is difficult, where there's not as much rest and relief as needed, where, where the body is sore and the mind is full. Sounds kind of like life, doesn't it? Sounds kind of like my life. I know it sounds kind of like your life. That's what Psalm 121 is. It's a, it's a summarized expression of this path we're walking down called life. Look down with me as we read it together. Psalm 121. 21, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The Lord shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The sun, excuse me, shall not 
strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is a model prayer for us of unwavering confidence in the Lord as helper along life's way. What I want to do as we look at the Word of God this morning is I want to draw out for us four instructions, four instructions to find your help in the Lord. Four instructions to find your help in the Lord so that you too can have unwavering confidence in Him in life's journey. First instruction is this, find your help in the Lord, your Maker. Find, the, find your help in the Lord, your Maker. The psalm begins with, with the inscription, a song of ascents. You, you see that in your Bible? That is part of the original psalm. You see that? If you just look up to Psalm 120, it's there too. And if you see Psalm 122, it's there too. In fact, this is part of a grouping, a collection of 15 psalms that has, have been put together here in the Psalter to be read together on the journey to Jerusalem. This is a, th- a three times a year journey that the Israelites would make to visit the temple of the Lord. And they would read these psalms on their way there. And, and even some, some would say that they would read all 15 of these psalms on the steps in Jerusalem leading up to the temple mount. Psalm of Ascent is, is meant to be read and, and prayed for those who are traveling this, this journey. And the psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. And, and we, we need to ask, well, what is he referring to here when he says he looks to the hills? And, and there's a few different ways we could, we could see this. The first is that maybe he's looking far off in the distance and he sees the temple Jerusalem is high up in the hills and and travelers coming from all around all have to ascend up to it. And perhaps he's looking up to the the temple where he knows the presence of the Lord resides. And he says, I look up to the hills. Maybe he's looking at the hills around him. And if you've been in places of of mountains and, and rolling hills and you just soak in the the grandeur of God's creation maybe. He's looking around at at the awesome beauty of what God has made and he's saying, I'm I'm looking up at these hills. And and I I believe probably there's parts of both of of that going on here, but there's a third kind of aspect we, we need to consider here and this really goes along well with the rest of the psalm. Perhaps he's looking at the hills on his journey to Jerusalem, and he's recognizing that there's many dangers potentially lying ahead. See, the hills were a great place for thieves and and robbers to hide and and come upon those travelers. The the hills were places of um, rough terrain, right? There was no roads, there was just paths, and and yes, these paths were, were being treaded down with each and every journey, but, but these hills could be a dangerous place to, to, to be wandering and walking along. And, and I think really, as, as I've studied this psalm, and as, again, as we, we're going to see uh, the rest of the stanzas here before us this morning, really, I think danger is in view here. And so he's, 
he's compelled to ask this question. From where does my help come? From where does my help come? It's a question that we often find ourselves asking too. From where does my help come? And there's a quick answer here, right? The psalmist doesn't delay. In verse 2, he says, my help comes from the Lord. I don't think he's asking this question with a whole lot of wondering. I think what's going on here is some personal catechizing. He's asking a question so that he can give the answer and, and instruct his soul in the truth and remind himself of where his help comes from. Reminding himself of the one in whom he has placed his trust, the Lord. The Lord, he says, my help comes from the Lord. The one true God who said, I am and there is no other. The the Lord who rules and reigns from his glorious throne, this is his helper. The one who keeps his covenant promises to ten thousands upon ten thousands. The one who the psalmist says, made heaven and earth. As he looks to the hills around him, as he looks to the mountains, he, he thinks to himself, I know the maker. I know the maker. I need help, but I know the maker. I, I know him who laid the foundation of the earth. I know the one who set the boundaries of the seas. I know the one who put the stars in the sky. I know the one who called these very mountains into being. I need help, so I'm going to go to him. The one who has infinite power. I know who will be my help. The one who not only made all of this, but the one who made me. Psalm 139, David says these words, he says, for you formed, he says this to God, you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So we, we do well to consider God as maker, as, as creator, and to look at his marvelous creation and, and to know that the God who, who made everything that we see also made us and created us to have a, a close, intimate relationship with him. We are the only ones, humans are the only ones that God said he made in his image. He has a special love for his people. And so when we think of of the help that we need, our minds ought to go to our maker. Surely he can help us. The psalmist isn't looking to anyone or anything else in this world for help. He's certainly not looking to himself, but he's looking to the maker of the world and everyone who's in it. Who's going to help me? I trust you ask this question and as I think of my own life, I ask this question uh, sometimes explicitly, right? Sometimes out loud, sometimes with these very words, from where will my help come? But oftentimes, and maybe even more so, we ask this question implicitly, right? We know we need help and we go looking for help and the burden of my heart is, is that 
Uh, Many of us know the correct church answer to the question, from where does my help come? The tongue gives an answer, but even though we know what we're supposed to say, there's often a disconnect, right? There's a disconnect in, in how we go about our lives and how we go about looking for help. We often end up looking for help in lesser places. Do, do you resonate with that this morning? And what we first, in this first two verses, in this first stanza of Psalm 121, we see is that we must instruct ourselves. We must be like the psalmist who, who asks the question, from where does my help come? And immediately answers, my help comes from the Lord, my maker. I want to encourage you to meditate on this idea of self-instruction this morning. It's my desire that you would all leave this place this morning with a more firm grasp on my help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord, my maker. Secondly, the psalmist would instruct us in this way, find your help in the Lord, your beholder. Find your help in the Lord, your beholder. Look at the second stanza with me, verses 3 and 4. The psalmist writes, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Often when we think of beholding, we think of our duty and our desire and delight to behold the Lord. And rightly so. We ought to behold him and and yet at the same time we don't want to lose sight of the truth that he is also beholding us each and every day. I want you to visualize with me this Palestinian pilgrimage. Like I said, no actual roads, just just pathways, sometimes narrow, sometimes slippery, sometimes very, very close to the edge. And, and thousands of, of people walking these paths to Jerusalem. And the psalmist says, he will not let your foot be moved. He won't allow you to slip. He will keep you from falling. Maybe you notice that there's a, a switch here in the pronoun. In, in the first two verses, he's speaking in the first person, I and, and, and my, and now he's talking about you, and we need to ask the question, who's he talking to? And I believe he's talking to his own soul. Of course, there's great benefit to the reader, all the way to us. And yet I think the psalmist here is talking to his own soul, feeding himself with truth, that he knows about God. And he reminds himself, he will not let your foot be moved. Maybe he's saying it with each step along the way. He will not let your foot be moved. He will not let your foot be moved. Notice the word keep. Six times the word keep is going to be used now in the rest of this psalm. It's the same word. Verse 3, he says, he who keeps you will not slumber. Verse 4, behold, 
He who keeps Israel, verse five, the Lord is your keeper. Verse seven, the Lord will keep you. He will keep your life. Verse eight, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. And this, this word keep, used throughout scripture, carries a, a range of, of meanings. It, it could mean to watch over. It could mean to protect, to, to guard, to take special care of. It's used with um, respect to someone who's, who's hired to watch over a property. Right? It's called a watchman. Maybe you've heard of that. Just to stay up late at night and, and make sure that no animals or no intruders, thieves come in and, and, and wreak havoc on the property. It's, it's also used of someone who watches over flocks and animals. A shepherd who keeps the flock. And it's used most especially as the Lord keeps his people. He watches over, he protects, he guards his people. And this, the psalmist reminds himself of this truth. He says, the Lord who keeps you will not slumber. And, and the idea here is, I want you to think of watching over, of oversight. He's, he's your keeper. He's watching over you. Who's watching over you? It's the Lord. The Lord, the King of glory that we've sung about this morning. Does, does that encourage your soul this morning? Does, does that instill in you a confidence for the help you need in the times of trouble in life? That the Lord is watching over you and that He will never sleep. He will never slumber. God wants you to know that He doesn't take any breaks. He never ceases to watch over each and every one of you. Though man needs sleep, he doesn't. His eyes are always open to our very need. I was reminded this week of another account in the Old Testament. Further back in in 1 Kings, it's the account of Elijah, the prophet of God. And if you know Elijah's story, his, his ministry was simply not easy. He had a difficult ministry and he encountered much um, trouble and, and even with the, the, the wicked leaders of the nation. See, they were worshiping other gods called the gods of Baal. And Elijah, there's this one account in 1 Kings chapter 18 when, when he calls um, the, the, the king Ahab and he says, here, you come, bring the prophets, bring your prophets of Baal with you. Let's, let's meet together. Let's call upon our God. Let's see who is the one true God. And he, he calls for an assembly of the people. And he, he speaks before them and he, and he tells them, let's, let's each prepare a bull for a sacrifice to our God. Let's cut it up. Let's put it over the wood for a fire. And, and, and let's stop short of burning our sacrifices, let's, let's call upon our God to do that. He says, you call upon your God, I'll call upon my God, and we'll see which God reigns and rules supreme. Elijah, it says, spoke to the prophets of Baal. He said, choose for yourself one bull, prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire under it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, 
Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Small g. Either he is musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Further on, after their God simply could not answer them, Elijah calls out and he says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Our God doesn't sleep. Our God doesn't sleep. Our Lord doesn't have some other place He needs to be. He he is always watching over you to keep you from falling. We shouldn't stand for a moment if our keeper were to sleep. But praise God, he is ever awake, beholding each and every one of our days. He will not let your foot be moved. But what about when it feels like my foot is moving? That's, that's a, a legitimate question we, we ask. I, I imagine some of you are asking that. At this very moment, what about when it feels like I am slipping? What, what of that? What, what does that mean of God's word? Help me understand. And I put much uh, thought into this. Because certainly at times it feels like um, we're, our, 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 our feet are not quite as firm as we'd like them to be. So we need to think in the broader context of scripture, which I have no doubt the psalmist was thinking as well. Trials and and suffering and calamity come upon us. And yet, at the same time, God promises that we will be kept from completely losing our way. If if maybe I could use an illustration, think, think of it as being close to the edge and kind of just losing your footing versus falling headlong over the cliff. The saint shall never so stumble as to utterly make that fall. Amen? His continual watching over us is our confidence in the day of trouble. Even when we experience the difficulties of this life, even when our days are hard and long, He is there watching over us. He will not allow us to, to, to completely fall and lose our way. I was reminded of, 
a hymn this week. I, I don't know many songs where we take on the first person of God and sing the words that God would say, and yet there is one where, where much of the song is like that. And a, a familiar um, verse to some of you will, will be these words, where, where we sing the words that, that God himself would communicate through the pages of his word. Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am the, thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my gracious, omnipotent hand. God will keep us standing in the day of trouble. He will keep us standing in the day of trouble because He is beholding us and He is very intimately aware of our need for help. He's watching over you. You can find your help in Him. He will not let your foot be moved. Let's look to the next stanza to find further instruction of how we can find our help in the Lord. This, the psalmist would have us be instructed in this way, find your help in the Lord, your protector. Find your help in the Lord, your protector. Verses 5 and 6. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Again, we see this word keeper, and yet the focus shifts away from the watching and, and now wants to focus on the, the guarding and the, and the comforting of our Lord as He protects us day and night. The psalmist tells himself, the Lord is your much-needed relief. Praise God, he, he sends relief when we need help. He sends his, his reprieve, he, he sends his comfort and his protection upon us in the times when we most need it. Think again of the context of the, the song of ascents, these songs of ascent on the, the journey that is going on here. The conditions would be really hot. Like Think of the climate here in the ancient Near East, in, in and around Jerusalem, it would be scorching hot by day. There would be blazing sunshine and, and the danger of, of burns to the body and sunstroke and collapse would be a very real danger. And so the psalmist, aware of his surroundings again, think, thinks about life's trials and he says, you are my shade, God. You are my shade. You are my shade to my, to my right hand. And, and the right hand in the, in the mind of the Israelite is, is the hand that represents strength and, and ability. It's, it's the hand that you would use for working and for fighting. And, and you would know if, if you were part of, of God's people that if your right hand is protected, then all of you is okay. That's, that's the point here. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Furthermore, he says, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. We need to think of this journey. It's not just for most a simple day trip. This is a days long journey. That means sleepovers outside 
under the sun, under the moon. Many of them would bring some temporary shelters. No doubt some would sleep under the open air. And the the psalmist, again, aware of this, says says that the the moon won't strike you, nor will the sun strike you. And and I I asked, okay, what does the the moon do? I don't have a lot of experience sleeping underneath the moon. I I don't really hear a lot these days about the danger of the moon, but apparently this was a, a very real Again, um, danger and, and time for needed help from the Lord. See, as I've read some commentaries this week, stretching back uh, hundreds of years, um, there's always been uh, an accounting for the dangers of the moon, and in different ways. There's, there's not necessarily singular agreement across the board on what the dangers might be. Some, some talk about um, even just the reflection of the sun's light off the moon for such a long period of time could pose a danger to one's skin or even eyes. There, there, there was um, accounts of uh, sailors whose captains would go and, and wake them up under the moonlight and say, you need to get underneath some shelter because there was others who wouldn't do that and would wake to temporary blindness. The, the threat of, of being exposed for too long to the moon, having an effect on your mental state was also something that was of concern. And so the psalmist says, whether it's by day or by night, you, you shall not be struck down. And again, if we allow ourselves to see the parable of life that is set before us in, in this psalm, we can just agree very quickly that our lives are but a series of days and nights, right? All of life takes place underneath the sun or the moon. Steve Lawson says of this that these two celestial bodies stand for dangers that occur by day and by night. But in spite of these difficulties, God's protection is continuous and constant. His protection is continuous and constant. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord who is the shade on my right hand. Charles Spurgeon speaks to this in in this way. He says, day and night make up all time. Thus, the ever-present protection never ceases. All evil may be ranked as under the sun or the moon. And if neither can smite us, we are indeed secure. The onslaught of obstacles and, and troubles that come our way. The Lord wants us to know, I'm here to help you. Have confidence in me. I will be your shade. I will be your rest. I will give you comfort. I will give you protection. What does this look like? What can this look like in our lives? And I've got a few um, ways that we can consider this morning. These are really, really novel ideas, so get ready, okay? (laughs) First is this, through his truth. His truth. The, The psalmist is writing what he's writing here because he knows what's true about God from the word of God. And God protects us through exposure to his word that acts to us as a shield in our lives. Next, God protects us through his peace. Through his peace. And if you were here last time I spoke, we, we saw that our inner peace comes 
through prayer. It comes through prayer. God, God gives to us his protection, his, his comfort, his shelter in the midst of trouble. When we need help, he gives to us his peace through those who call out to him in prayer. Next, he gives us his protection through companionship. Through companionship, and this is twofold, companionship with him. Through the Holy Spirit that he has sent to dwell among his people. Also, he offers his companionship through meaningful fellowship with others. We need each other. We've seen this over and over again. Even just recently in the book of Acts, we need each other. We need meaningful fellowship so that we can hold each other up in the day of trouble. This is from the Lord. When we say my help comes from the Lord, he has means for that. And finally, through worship. God brings protection and comfort to our souls through worship. Namely, singing. Singing praise to him. If we lift up our voices to the Lord in song, and we ascribe to him the the glory that is due to his name, this has a sheltering, restful effects on our souls, even, even in the midst of the blazing sunlight or the danger of the moon. These are God's means of comforting protection, no matter the hour of the day. He is our comforter. He is keeping his people under the shelter of his wings. This leads to our fourth instruction to find help in the Lord. We've seen to find help in the Lord, your maker. Help in the Lord, your beholder. Find help in the Lord, your protector. And now, help in the Lord, your deliverer. Help in the Lord, your deliverer. Verses 7 and 8. Let's read those again. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. It's in this final stanza that we see most clearly the full scope of this psalm. Here we find that the promise of the Lord is that he will preserve the life, or some translations say the soul, and that's an apt translation. It's the same word in the Hebrew, life or soul. He will preserve the soul of his faithful followers. And uh, the psalmist here, rather than continuing to give examples, okay, he, he's drawn upon his surroundings to, to pull in some, some imagery, some examples of how the Lord keeps and watches and, and helps and protects his people. But now he simply says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. All evil. It, it, as, as, it's like it's a legal document where uh, instead of uh, listing every conceivable possible harm or foul, simply just says something to the effect of and, and, and any other such occurrence not specifically listed here. All evil. All evil. The Lord will keep you from all evil. What marvelous truth to warm our souls this morning. Now, the, the psalmist knows that ultimately his confidence in the Lord as helper isn't uh, grounded in his present 
circumstances. You know what I'm saying? What, what's going on around him day to day isn't the, the ultimate of what his, defines his life and his keeping by the Lord. What I'm getting at there is, is that the, the promise here is not that we shall never experience the pain of that which is wicked, but rather that no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress will have evil power over us. That is, will be able to separate us from God's purposes in us. Does that make sense? It's, it's not as though when we follow and, and trust in the Lord for help, that all of a sudden there's going to be this force field around us where, where evil just goes every other direction except for us. We know that that's not true. The psalmist knows that that's not true. This is a declarative, ultimate statement that evil will not reign over us. It will not win. And this is where uh, the faith of too many is shaken, where where. Help from the Lord is seen to be uh, equal, synonymous with change of circumstances, and that's simply not always the case. He will keep evil from having the final word over your soul. That is his promise. And that is his comfort. He will deliver us through the trial unto himself. One writer said it like this. He said, our idea of being kept and God's idea may be very different. We think so much of the keeping of the body and of a man's outward circumstances. But in comparison with the soul's well-being, God counts these things as of no importance. Hence, God may preserve a man's soul when he lets his outward affairs go all to ruin. For the sake of his soul, this may be needed. But if his soul has been kept, has God not been true to his word? This is where the forevermore, final word of the psalm, forevermore, helps immensely. See, eternity is in view here. It's not just one trip to Jerusalem. It's all of life and beyond this life. The Lord's people find a helper in him that ultimately delivers no matter what happens along the way. Now, the along the way is also in view, for sure, right? The psalmist says you're going out and you're coming in, and this is, this is representative in, in the Hebrew mind of all of life. You're going out and you're coming in. This, this is often spoken of in Scripture as just day-to-day living. You go out. From your home in the morning, you return in the evening. You work the fields, right? You take care of, of, of gathering what you need for life and sustenance, and then you return home. And, and so certainly, we need to be encouraged that God is helping us in our day-to-day struggles as well. He provides shade. He provides relief. He keeps our foot from stumbling as far as it possibly could. And yet, our day-to-day help from the Lord must be grounded in the fulfillment of a promise yet future. Another um, from God's word came to mind as well. We've looked at Elijah. Now I want to just consider Jacob for, for a moment. 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you, you may remember the patriarch, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And in his younger days, Jacob's father, Isaac, sent him away and he said, go take for your wife, take for yourself a wife from your mother's family. Go to your mother's brother and marry one of her daughters and come back. And this was for Jacob, an exercise of faith, right? He's going to journey a long way. He doesn't know what he's going to encounter along the path. And so God makes this promise to Jacob. He says, behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Those are awesome words. That's found in Genesis 28. 20 chapters in Genesis later, several decades later, Jacob is on his deathbed. Not only does he have 12 sons, but they have sons as well, and he's giving a blessing as he departs from this world and and as he's going to die in faith. He refers to his God as the Lord who has been my shepherd all my life long. The Lord who has been my shepherd all my life long. Let us say that now. Let us say that every day of our lives. Let us say that when our lives come to an end. That we have looked to the Lord as our shepherd all our life long. Did Jacob have trouble along the way? Of course he did. Many troubles. And yet the Lord delivered him. The Lord fulfilled his promise to him. You know, what's interesting is neither Jacob nor Elijah nor the writer of this psalm knew with a fullness of understanding God's plan of deliverance. They trusted him as deliverer. They believed that he would deliver them, but how he would accomplish this, through whom and when, was was all a bit foggy. Right? They, They saw the New Testament tells us, through a veil. And in Jesus Christ, that veil is removed and and we, the church of Jesus Christ, stands on this side of the cross and we look back and we know with greater clarity, with greater certainty, with greater detail, whom our deliverer is. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Listen, we we say Jesus is Lord. I I just want to say it the other way in this psalm. The Lord, the Lord is Jesus. The Lord is Jesus. And if you fix your eyes upon Jesus and you acknowledge that that nothing that has been made was made apart from him, that the comfort that that we have comes from him, that, that Jesus promised his followers, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I won't leave you or forsake you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And I'm coming back and I will take you to myself. We sang it this morning. Oh, when the trumpet sounds, we shall see our deliverer once and for all. And that day will be glory. So we can read this psalm. We can, friends, listen. We can read this psalm and see more than the psalmist who wrote it saw. He would, he would gladly come and see our day. To know that God came in the flesh himself to redeem and to rescue his people. 
to pay the penalty for sin, to conquer death, that we might have a deliverer who's been raised from the grave, that we might have confidence that he will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life through Jesus Christ. May this be the meditation of our heart in our going out and in our coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus is our helper. And with him, we can make it to the next leg of the race and he will deliver us all the way across the finish line. From whom shall my help come? From whom does my help come? From where does my help come? From the Lord. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we are comforted this morning by your word. We read your psalm. And oh, the depths of the riches of your word, oh God. As we peer in, Lord. And we go beyond one season's journey and we consider all of life. And we consider that you are here to keep us forevermore. We're in awe. We are in amazement. And we ask, God, that you would open up our hearts, that we would stand in awe and in amazement in, in greater ways and, in, in, Lord, in deeper fervency, that we would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the day of trouble. That we would instruct our own soul and ask ourselves the question, from where does my help come? And right away say, my help comes from the Lord. Help us to believe it and to live it. God, thank you for your truth. God, take this word, plant it deep within us. And as we leave, oh Lord, God, God, would you create in us a longing heart to find our help in you and in you alone and in your Son, whom you sent for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.